clubhouse. I'm going to buy your ranch first. Right after you die and your children can't afford the inheritance tax. And I'm going to pull down every fence and any evidence that your family ever existed will be removed from the property. It'll look like it used to when it was ours. I will erase you from the future. And then I'll do it to the next ranch and the next. And there's nothing that you can do to stop it. This is Sheila. And welcome to Pie Club House. This is Yellowstone. Season 1, we're talking about episode 3 today, No Good Horses. Okay, so that was like all last week. Like I was congested and then the migraine thing. So like I'm happy to be feeling better. Moving on. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. I know. But we are back on track. And we're, we're talking about an episode that came out July 3rd, 2018. So, you know, this is completely different than that time. Yeah, let's go back in time. Let's go back in time to like the night before July 4th. Fireworks in the background. Aww. <laughs> no masks. <laughs> right? Aw, uh, back in the day. This, I feel like this is a huge episode because we find out about the mom. Evelyn Dunn. They don't actually say it, though, in the episode. Like, it was a credit at the end. Ah. So, yeah, I thought it was really important that we met the mom. But I know you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but I didn't like the mom. No. Uh, yes, like, I agree. I Yes, that's a very good hell? That's a very good assessment because it's like, dang, like we just meet her and she's just horrid to she Beth. Is. So let's back this up. All we know about Beth so far is that she's acted with complete venom and disregard for anyone's feelings to Jamie mm-hmm. and to Rip. He, she's not been so nasty to her father. She's not been nasty to Casey and Lee we only saw literally for like 40 yeah. minutes. Beth doesn't present herself as somebody who's very lovable. But she's also 20 years removed from this incident, so who knows? Right. So I'm going to go on, you know, good good faith for Beth, saying that she wasn't so screwed up, but this event yeah. did play a huge part in how she ended up. The mom is, like, rude to her as they're riding horses for whatever reason, but then when the she falls off and the horse falls on her, she says that this is Beth's fault. Yes. What, what is what? Beth, like, 13, 14 years old? What kind of mother would say that? It's like, she did this to me. I was like, what? It was awful. Yeah, she did this. She needs to fix it. Like, it was just, and just how she said it. I know. How it came out. Like, I, I mean, I don't have more than one child. So, like, I can't imagine, like, being so different to one than you would be to the other and being so hard to one. I'm just hard to my son alone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're like, I'm just terrible in general. But she just has such love in her face and her hand for Casey. Yeah, just venom for Beth. I use that word again because that's like, that's what got passed down from Evelyn to Beth, it seems. It was hard to watch. It was pretty terrible. And she was already like, you know, nervous about the horse and just obviously now feeling the guilt that this is now her fault. It explains so much of why Beth is the way that she is now for me. And I feel sympathetic to her. And I didn't think I could ever say the word that would be sympathetic for Beth. Right. I feel that this is also something that just really steeled her her character and her her way of the world that 
she now feels fully and wholly responsible for her mother's death. It's pretty terrible. I don't know why she would say that, like, to her face, too. Like, this is all your fault. But it was pretty hard to watch. And I, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't like her. Like, what's, like, seriously? We get a few minutes of the mom, and she was terrible. So yeah. <laughs> I am not a fan. But, yeah, that was pretty sad. I would say for sure that as a, what, we said 13 or whatever, like, that would totally screw you up. See your mom die and then for her to say it was your fault. Right. And then she goes to find her dad. And can we talk about Josh Lucas? I know. For a second. As a young John Dutton. He's so cute. (laughs) He was like a dead ringer for him, though. Yes. Like, and I have to ask, because I went back to watch that scene where he's with young Jamie. And they're branding the cattle. It felt like the voice was Kevin Costner's. Like, I don't know if he just did such a good job in in portraying Kevin Costner or if the production did an overlay of Kevin Costner's voice. Because just, Mm. like, hearing him say, like, well, you put your neck on him, Jamie. The way he said it it was just like, oh, my God. It just sounded so much like him. I thought it was just his, like, Josh Lucas's voice. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it did sound a lot like him. I just thought that was an excellent casting job. Agreed. I liked seeing him on the on the scene as an actor. I hope that we see more of him. You can tell then that Beth definitely has much more of a tender relationship with him than obviously with her mom. You know, he's concerned about her being hurt and, you know, he's not as hard on her as we've seen him be so far hard on Jamie. Yeah. In like the, the 10 seconds that they interacted. Um, so there's definitely, you know, that father-daughter relationship there so at least she's getting love from somebody (laughs) this poor teenager and i feel bad for the for her as well because i mean her arm is obviously in a bad way yeah and her face i don't know if you noticed her face her face is all scratched up no i didn't like she'd fallen like a number of times in the brush and it kind of like scratched up her face yeah it was very subtle but it was very well done it was just like she struggled to get to that point like so she obviously fell off her horse because the horse you know got back to the ranch so she's like walking back too and sobbing and just not Ugh. not good. No, it's really sad. Yeah, I felt I felt really bad. This was a this was a terrible introduction to Evelyn Dutton. I agree. But in the five or six minutes that they you know cut this scene, we learned so much. I mean, it's very telling. No wonder Beth's such terrible person (laughs) and it also confirms what beth said in an earlier episode to john saying that you know casey was her favorite we have to protect him and we saw that when the horse fell on her the crunch i know it churned my stomach i'm like well played taylor sheridan (laughs) because no this show does not like hide the like gore or whatever no they don't exactly they don't minimize it, that's for sure. And it's so intentional. Like, I, th- we've said this in, in other podcasts, like, with about this show, is that everything is done with such intent. You can't look away. You can't, you know, divert your attention for a second because everything has meaning. So, yeah, that sickening crunch who definitely Ugh. told us that uh, this was not going to end well for, for Mrs. Dutton. Well, yeah. So, one more question, though. So, since Casey was the one sitting there, like, as she passed away, does that not screw him up? Like, he seems to be sort of... I don't think any of them got away from this unscathed i don't because i mean for him i mean he did leave the ranch what is he maybe 11 or 12 maybe he might have been 10 might be too young maybe 11 or 12 i think he's a bit younger than beth yeah this had to have an effect on him i mean he's there all day i mean from the way that the you know the sunlight was i mean i'm no sundial but you know it was like late (laughs) afternoon ish when this happened and then it was well dark by the time he was found 
Yeah, that has to, and he was frightened. He was defending against a, a wolf in the background. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. So this has to, and he watched his mom die. I know. Like, well, my point is that he seems a little bit less screwed up, I guess, than the rest of the gang. But I don't know. Like, he's he's got like no ability to confide, even in his wife. It seems so far in these couple episodes we've seen. You know, he's definitely got some sort of defense mechanism that's working very well for him. And I just don't think that he's um, he's as, as adjusted as he gives himself <laughs> work, gives himself outward credit for. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess we'll see. So his interaction with Tate, to me, is the most normal of yeah. all these relationships. But, like, him and Monica, obviously, are so strained, and he doesn't have another outlet for this. So I worry about him. <laughs> worry about the guy. So it's like the anniversary of Evelyn's death. And yeah. it just like sends Beth for a loop. Yeah, she's struggling. That's to say interesting. The least. <laughs> Naked horse trough. Like, what is that? Yeah, I don't understand the significance of it. I don't either. Like, what is she doing? But, yo, it's March in Montana. Like, the anniversary date was March 30th, 1997. So we're talking cold. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's cold. Like, I was there in July, and it got down to 39 degrees in the morning. Oh, I was just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be cold. Like, those things are going to be staying at attention. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the fact that she's home on the ranch for this anniversary makes it worse for her? Or would this have been as bad wherever she was? Uh, yeah, probably at home makes it way worse. Because, I mean, think about if you're not figure away at college or she's had she has a job in what Salt Lake City Salt Lake I said. City I think yeah I mean you're you're working you're doing your thing you're going out with your friends so you're probably not going to be as confronted by it so this is yeah I mean it seemed what like early morning she's already got like a bottle of whiskey and naked in the horse trough so I think this is going to be no, like a bad day champagne was it? I was like, what is that? Because she was, un so when Jamie came out to like, ask her like what the hell she was doing, she was undoing the top of the, the pop of the, uh, the, champagne. the champagne bottle. I'm like, champagne? It's the wrong drink for this yes! occasion. Thank you. So I was just like, I don't know. Is that significant of something? I don't know. She Yeah, just like another sign of her. Twistedness. Unhinged. Yeah, the trough bath is just nuts. And what is she throwing it before? Is that like a, a warmer What's that thing that she throws in? I look like she threw she a threw plug in there. In. Really? Yeah, she she plugs, that part. She throws something in, and it looks like it's attached to like this big electrical cord. Oh, and I was like, at first warmer. I was like, oh, she she could like electrocute herself in front of like Rip and Jimmy over there. But thankfully, I think it's just a water warmer. I don't know. Yeah, but ten seconds isn't gonna warm up the water. <laughs> yeah, and then Rip tries to just be so chivalrous, covering her up tell jimmy to avert his eyes i feel so bad for jimmy we're gonna talk more about him later but just yeah he just gets the brunt of it but uh nope she decides to exert her right to walk naked across the corral yeah she like berates jamie for even talking to her say like she doesn't want anything to do with the rib talking to her like she's just not having it she's yeah just like but i just don't understand why she had to do that i guess that's just her way of dealing with her grief for that day just to put herself on display well she said at the end of the conversation she said everyone suffers today yeah so think she's just gonna have it out for everybody today i don't understand though like why when linnell was leaving the ranch and she like saw beth she like smiled and then like walked towards her and then her face fell and she walked away like i didn't understand that like emotion in her face you walk outside and you see a grown woman sitting in a trough of water naked at whatever time it is in the morning it's early 
drinking champagne. Yeah, like, why does she smile at her? I don't... I was confused. Yeah, I don't understand. But, I mean, the fact that she kind of walked towards Beth and then thought the better of it, walking away, I was like, that is probably the smartest move you're going to make all day, lady. (laughs) Right. They probably know each other just based on, like, small town life or whatever, but I don't know. Have they had any interaction before? Up till now, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think there's been any. It's just been Jamie with the governor and John with the governor, so... I think they just might know of each other. I don't think that there's been any direct contact. This was definitely not the time to make that contact. (laughs) We'll circle back to the fallout from the mom's anniversary, but Beth has also a a chance encounter with Dan Jenkins at a bar. And uh, he's immediately taken with her and finds out that she's John Dutton's daughter. It's just like the cherry on top of the Sunday for him in his eyes. What did you make of this interaction with her? <laughs> that was so funny. I loved it. I mean, she's definitely on a rampage today, like we just said. And so she is just like, has his number. And she's like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> she's like, you just want to like, fuck me to get back at my dad. And he's like, well, yeah, that would help. Like, I mean, she is like, just calls him out. I thought she, it was hilarious. Yeah, she absolutely has the comeback for each of his lines. I just love when she said that, you know, he goes, aren't you married? And he's like, yeah. She says, oh. But when I break you, it's be breaking generations. Like, where's the fun in wrecking a single man? That is just like the tiger playing with their food right before they eat it. So she knows exactly what she's doing, I feel. But I'm I'm impressed that she pulled herself together enough to get up and out to further drink somewhere else. (laughs) Dressed enough to to drink somewhere else. Yep. You know, gets the eye makeup back in this, you know, off the smudge line. So Dan's kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus since the um, the blowing up of the river. So this is the first yeah. time we've seen him back. He's uh, he's a little upset that he doesn't have recourse. So I guess he thinks that he can have some recourse if he <laughs> messes up with Beth somehow or yeah. messes Beth around. She's like, okay, let's do that. I don't know. I feel like that, that she's going to take this a little further than maybe he's yeah. willing to go. Gosh. Their conversation was just hilarious from just how evil and flirtatious just... There was nothing good about this, but it was just very fun to watch. Agreed, yeah. (laughs) It was a very good back and forth. (laughs) All right, so back to the family Dutton drama. (laughs) Right. So later on, her and Jamie have a conversation. (laughs) This is just the day that she just stayed in bed. Well, okay, so I think this... This whole thing with Jamie, though, is snowballing on the fact that, like, Jamie wants to run for attorney general. John, like, isn't necessarily supportive. And then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it without you. But then somehow Jamie is left out of this conversation with John and Beth and, like, the head of the Republican Party. Right. So this takes a weird turn, right? Yeah. Like, this is bizarre. John wants Beth to run for the assembly. That's that was the meeting. I guess yeah. that he brings this like group of men to the house, and he says, "I need you." And she goes and meets them. But like it was confusing for me because like all of a sudden I was like, "Weren't we just talking about the attorney general, right?" And Jamie, and now the assembly. Okay. <laughs> also, how is she sober enough to do this? But anyway, she's like in the house, like entertaining these guys, like making jokes, like ah, uh-huh, and they're laughing. And Jamie's like sitting on the porch, like staring through the window. 
It's like, what is happening? I feel you're right that he was left out of like maybe the crucial connector conversation saying from John, hey, kids, I'm going to need both of you to be representing the family in these capacities. Well, and if John had invited like political people to the house, like wouldn't he have brought his son in who's, oh, he's also going to be running for attorney general? Like, why is he sitting out on the porch? Like, literally, and you're right. Like, that is the image. And he's sitting out on the porch looking in at this. <laughs> His, like, nose is pressed against the window, like, oh, I want to be in there. I want to turn. I want the cognac, too. <laughs> I mean, this is just terrible. I do not understand this family. But, okay, so whatever reason she comes out, that then they go in the bar and have this, like, altercation. So it's, it's kind of like. match. Well, yes, but. It's also, like, fueled by this, too. Like, it's yes. not even about whatever it is about. Like, whatever they hate each other over. It's like this, too. Like, Like, I mean, he I feels know. that something's being taken away from him. An opportunity. But he says something really nasty to her. He, he does. He says, I, this is the quote, I don't remember what you were like before you killed our mother. That's really harsh. Especially on today. Like, the fact that he didn't get, like, need in the nuts is just beyond... <laughs> Well, he called her cancer, suicide from the inside out. Like, this is very vicious. Like, my brother and I have fights. I mean, not as much now as adults. Like, when we were younger, I don't ever remember, I don't know, the level of just hatred. I think around the time that, like, I was 13 or 14, maybe maybe 13. That's when we kind of stopped physically fighting <laughs> because yeah. my brother just got too big and too strong. I was like, all right, this isn't fair anymore. <laughs> yeah. These two, I mean, it is all out blows when he knocked her down oh my god she was like be a man be a man i know she's saying like punch me come on yeah and then she said the man would have walked away like you were taunting him with basically one track of thinking what did you think that he was gonna do i don't know though i mean i just don't think that he was gonna hit her i was surprised when he actually like knocked her down but she got back up (laughs) it's just that a man would have walked away like damn (laughs) Like, jeez. And then, like, kind of what, like, flashed through my mind is like, oh, God, what's Rip going to do? Well, it's obviously I don't condone physical violence, but, like, your sibling is someone that you probably could hit, but, like, not as adults. Yeah. Like, when you're young and, you know. Yeah, like, of course you hit your siblings when you're young. It's like, you just fight. But this is, like, next level. Ridiculous. I mean, she's, like tells him to do it and then like hates him for it. I don't know it's like this poor guy they're not I mean they're never gonna like resolve this whatever this is like this is one of those relationships like once the parent dies like once John is gone these two ain't ever seen each other again. oh no and she even says it. she goes I would sell my share to the four seasons and you know you never see me again yeah yeah that was a hard scene to watch like out of everything that we've seen so far I'm like that was actually very very difficult Right. Just how Yeah, I just much didn't expect them to actually physically hit each other. Yeah. It's like, use your words, man. Like, I told my seven-year-old, like, use your words. <laughs> so Jamie is, like, just tells John that he's going to still run for attorney general and wants his support. Mm-hmm. This is confusing. Like, I don't know what's going on with this, like, political stuff. Right. Same. I'm not sure. Like, now out of left field, there was the mention of the assembly in this episode where earlier in the day, Linnell is, yeah. you know, saying that Jamie should run as a, as a as an independent candidate this way. He's got something to appeal to everybody. And then out of nowhere comes this assembly thing. So we'll have to see where this goes. I just can't see also Beth as an elected official. <laughs> Good like, God. 
shaking other people's hands and not doing what she wants and being told what to do, I think that this would just be a disaster. For real. Definitely. Like, Beth, like, because right now we're in campaign season and just... Right? Could you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, Beth Dutton, like, you know, for assembly posters <laughs> all over the place. This would not be, like, Montana news. This would be, like, national news. Like, her shenanigans and... Yeah. Montana candidate punches guy in the face brother brother not only guy just brother well i just mean like she probably would do it on like a national stage or whatever like during a debate or something meanwhile she goes for morning swims in the horse trough (laughs) (laughs) okay so we are all agree beth would make a terrible candidate for anything uh what else would i feel like she's lost her her little marbles today but i guess we could give her a pass well maybe terrible you know, march day. 31st she'll wake up with her hangover pick up her marbles and sort of regroup yeah, a little pick bit up her <laughs> do you know uh if i say it's her dark day do you know that reference no it's from gilmore girls oh okay which caroline and i are huge fans of but luke the day his father passed away is his dark day okay and he just like disappears so I say that word sometimes, and then I don't feel like anybody knows what I'm talking about. You should. Like, if you know this day is no good for you, you just hold yourself up in your bed. and Yeah, just, like, just disappear for the day, so. Find your Netflix show and just stay there for the rest of the day. Maybe she'll recover from Maybe her watch dark. some Gilmore Girls. That's very heartfelt, exactly. you know. They might make her a little kinder, gentler. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, She's got a lot of work to do to repent. So, yeah, this episode goes from bad to worse with... Casey and the van in the field and the guys and the and the girl and the I don't like it. Yeah. And then we have to throw in a big old snake. Like, come on, for real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this entire segment was just cringe worthy. Yeah, it was cringe worthy and just further heartbreak that this man just does not need in his life right now. I mean he can't catch a break. Like everywhere he goes, something terrible happens. Yeah. Like, and to other, like, that other people that he's, like, not even involved in, but then suddenly involved in. Right. Like, how does this keep happening to this guy? I jumped a mile mm-hmm. when guy number one in the suit jumped out of the van. I jumped a mile. My husband sat next to me and was laughing. He's like, what is the matter with you? I'm like, I just did not expect that. I forgot. All- I haven't watched these in two years. Yeah. Right? So, I basically completely forgotten everything but like the high points like i remembered evelyn you know coming in and whatnot but to tell you what else happened in this episode no when he jumped out of the van leapt a mile (laughs) but guy number two i feel like he got off too easy Uh, so first of all can we talk about the sexiest moment in this this episode casey lasso the sexiest moment sexy okay let's see casey lassoing the guy like he was just (laughs) running and he's like putting his lasso up it's like swoop 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 and he like he gets his leg. Yeah. I needed that. Thank you. The cowboy. <laughs> little cowboy action. But yeah, the, the luck of this guy falling and hitting his head on the rock, I was just like, that's like a little too easy, easy for you. For sure. I mean, I have a lot of worse nightmares. I say that a lot. Like, oh, a, f- a fire would be my worst nightmare. Or like, but like being like kidnapped in a van in the field. Yeah, that's pretty, t- pretty terrible. Pretty terrible. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. Do we believe her that nothing happened? No. Me neither. I was just like, uh, like everyone's saying, no, nothing happened. But I'm like, something happened. Because guy number two was mostly undressed. Yeah. You don't kidnap some girl, windowless van in the field and nothing happened. Like, that's And not. have her taped up and 
terrible. So, I mean, lucky for her, Casey saves the day. It's really hard to watch stuff like this. Yes. The fact that, like, we have little kids just makes it so much worse. I know. I Yeah, it's terrifying. And then Tate being there, too. Is, I don't know how much of that he saw, because he was like, stay in the truck. But he's old enough to sort of ask questions and be like, what's going on? Not necessarily sit still. But thankfully, I don't think he saw much, because, yo, he had a rattlesnake to contend with. He had his own foe. He was in the little, like, drainage tube. As he was chasing him? Okay. Yeah, so, like, while Casey's happened. thing was happening, that's when all of a sudden, like, he was sitting there. That was a big-ass snake. That was a big-ass snake. And I was looking at his shoes. I'm like, oh, thank God he has on cowboy blues and he's wearing them <laughs> yeah. the right way. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, as much as my dad would have said, stay put, I would have got my butt back in that truck. But that's worse, right? Because then, like, he's on the side of the road exposed in a truck that's running. Okay, well, that's better than being killed by a rattlesnake. But Casey didn't know that. He figured it was safer than, like, leaving him in a truck that he could be kidnapped out of. No, I agree with Casey's, like, train of thought there, but I'm saying Tate's train of thought, I would have been like, hell no, I'm getting back in the truck. I'm not fighting a snake. <laughs> like, how did he even kill the snake? Like, with his boot? He just stomped, stomped him to him. death. Mm. I give this kid a lot of credit. I would have been, like, a wilted little flower in front of a snake. I'm saying I would have ran away. That's what I'm saying. I would have been back in the truck. Like, I would not have been, like, hanging out there to try to fight. This would be one of those moments I'd be I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Right? <laughs> I'm glad he survived the snake. I live next to like a little my neighborhood calls it a nature preserve. Mm-hmm. I call it a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't like clear. It it just has trees like growing out around it. So it looks kind of pretty, but like up close. In reality, it's a ditch. <laughs> so I'm always nervous that there's going to be like snakes Critters. and then yeah. we, uh, we went on a bike ride a few months ago and there was a little tiny copperhead like hanging out on the sidewalk. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go way. Those are poisonous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those okay. are poisonous. But I'm I not... lived in Australia for two years, so I'm, I'm pretty good with the deadly venomous snakes that live there. Girl, I have seen like memes or whatever articles about what can kill you in Australia, and I don't want to go there. No, look, it's fine. Looks so scary. Spiders are much more of a concern than snakes. No, I mean everything they had, like the pictures of like this article that was like why you don't want to move to Australia, and it was like crazy lizards and big spiders and crazy snakes. And yeah, I'm thinking I don't want to go there. So I was there for college, and like the very first week in orientation, we had a mandatory class. It was the flora and fauna of Australia. Oh gosh, and it was like all the things that could kill you. <laughs> so like the instructor was like, I I just recommend just flipping your toilet seat up every time you use it, just in case. Sure enough, one time. I did flip it up and a little thing crawled out from underneath no. and it was one of those, it's, it's called a redback spider and it has a red dot on its butt and it's highly venomous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I lived there for two years, but for 10 years, I flipped the toilet seat up. I bet like, so. Really, it was like after a while, I was like, I, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That was the closest I came to anything I say really deadly. Tate, I guess, is like one brave little boy. So I'm glad he survived the snake and got a trophy to show it. Okay, so, I mean, she says nothing happens. She just wants to go home. Obviously, I think they're on the reservation, so the reservation police would be called. But I guess she just doesn't. She doesn't want to go there. I like Dad, though. He's pretty intimidating. He was pretty intense. I just wanted to read to me. Like, I just wanted to read things to me. His voice was just so enrapturing. But the words that were coming out of his mouth were, were pretty 
pretty mean. So they dig up a hole to bury these dudes in. When Danny, her dad, says, the hole is for you, Casey, but the burning of the bodies is for me. And he says that in their culture, the burning of the body prevents the soul from crossing over into the afterlife. Right. And immediately my mind went to leap. Uh, so I don't know if there's like uh, like an underlying corollary, but that's what I thought of because they incinerated, you know, they, they did cremate Lee. Yeah, I didn't connect that. I wasn't sure if Casey was making the connection, but it's just, it's something that popped into my head. And I was like, well, I mean, we talked about John having a trouble with it. And he was talking about revelations, right? So yeah. that's where like... The dead are supposed to rise and the 144,000 and all the rest of it. But so I was just not sure if it was like meant to be like a, hey, look over here for a second back to Lee because they did bury him and then they had to cremate him. You notice the details a lot. We've squashed the bad guys. They are no longer. They are here to be tortured between eternities. (laughs) So I guess that's like... Casey can move on but like I said I just can't believe this guy like last episode he got like a meth lab blown up as he's driving by like this is just crazy right he's just shot his brother-in-law this guy like carried his dead brother home yeah he's he's had some some strife these last couple episodes was he just like one of those people unlucky people or is he yeah like a magnet for bad luck but it gets worse (laughs) it does like, just when we think things can't get worse. I know. We're, so we catch up with Monica. She's just, like, at the trailer with the kids, and they're, like, outside. And She was close by. I don't know exactly where she was. Because the kids were outside playing, and Casey and Stands Alone, Ben Stands Alone, they were talking about, like, the horse that Casey was training. That's right, yeah. But Monica, I don't know if they live next door to each other, but she was close by. So she heard the gunshot, and she was there within seconds of... Casey getting in the house. I can't understand the despair that this woman must have been in to do that to your kids. You've now made them orphans. I just, it was so heartbreaking to watch. Well, to me, the the hardest part was just thinking that, like, it's, they're there, you know? Like, I, I can maybe understand, like, why you would get to that place mentally, but why you would do that, like, with your kids, like, right outside. Knowing that they're going to hear that and come yeah. flying inside. You know, I mean, I understand, too, that she was upset. And she was looking out at them playing, and then that's when she pulled the trigger. The timing of that is just, why would you do that then? Like, I, why would I you do it at all? Because now, like, you're literally the only thing these three kids have left. Very, very devastating. Okay, the more we talk about, the more this is a terrible episode. Yeah. Let's talk about Rainwater. Yeah, let's just... He's stop. at least upright. <laughs> In prison, though. What did you think of how he was detained? I mean, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty messed up, too, for them to say that he resisted arrest and, like... I mean, he was in a tuxedo, for God's sake. I know. Like, who's going to resist in a tuxedo? At least before the party. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the second he got off the reservation, that's when, you know, the sirens came and, and basically, like, ambushed him. And then he gets the visit from John in prison. Now, I have to tell you. When John comes to visit him, oh, okay, before that even happens, when, when Rainwater says, so we, you know, we've had this sort of moral conscience that's come in just about every episode so far about like the relationship between the Native Americans and the Duttons and the, the different agencies that have dealt with them. Rainwater says, you know, the cop who's arresting him in the station says, you know, is there anything that's going to poke me, stick me, hurt me, yada, yada. And he says, only my heritage. Right. It was just such a, a reminder of the injustices and the indignities that 
people have had to suffer for their heritage by being here before anybody else got here by just being on the wrong end of the power spectrum. So I felt really bad for him in that moment. But when John comes to see him and he's talking to him, he's chewing gum, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, how much don't you give AF if you're standing there talking about like these, you know, very important issues and you're (laughs) smacking your gum. That's very disrespectful, too. You know, I mean, when I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school. Sometimes the the nuns were not the most strict. I remember having one teacher and she was always like, if you are chewing gum, you need to spit it out the second you walk in. Because the last thing I want to do is teach for 45 minutes for people who look like like a cow herd (laughs) chewing their cut. (laughs) That's always stuck with me for some reason. Yeah, I hate chewing gum. Now that I'm home... (laughs) I don't even have seen a pack of gum since March. Right. It would just be like at work quickly. Like if I had lunch yes, and there was like, like sticky things in my, like my lunch, like onions or garlic or whatever. Right. Just to freshen up real quick. But yeah, to go into like a meeting or anything like that, be like, no, let's just, let's discreetly It's disrespectful. Yeah. It's like, but like we, we mentioned either last episode or the one before, like the reach that John has, I was surprised to see him just sort of walk into a prison. Like, is there anywhere you can't go, man? Right. I mean, he's just sort of like hanging out in the yard and they like summons rainwater to come out there and see him. It's like, really? This guy has like all the power. I did not even make that connection. I thought it was weird that it's because he couldn't have been in there long. So it's like he had him arrested somehow and right. then immediately like comes to see him in the like prison yard. <laughs> yeah. They sort of shove him out there like, okay, go talk to this guy. So I don't, I thought that that was kind of telling too of sort of their situation. You know, they're painting this picture of sort of John versus Rainwater. And that's sort of the same thing. Like you sort of have to be like summoned out to see this guy who just happens to sh- walk into your prison and just be like, hey. Like you've been in prison for all of what, four hours maybe? <laughs> and here he is. But now John's also done his research. He's done his opposition research on Rainwater, knowing that he's worked for these high-powered, he worked for the American Petroleum Industry and Merrill Lynch and things like that. Well, yeah, and they have this, like, banter back and forth, too, where, you know, Rainwater's saying, I'm underprivileged or oppressed or whatever. He's like, no, you're not. Like, you went to, you have, like, a college degree and you have all these fancy jobs. So, I mean, he kind of, like you said, has done his research and sort of see, calling Rainwater out as it is, too, like. Right, like you're not as underprivileged as you think you are. Right. Yeah, but what did you think about what Rainwater says to John about his plan? He wants to buy the valley for $14 billion. Yeah, I have no idea how he's going to do that. Where's he going to get $14 billion? You know, how how is he, like, value the Dutton Ranch? Like, I don't, I'm not sure how you could place a value on something the size of Rhode Island <laughs> that we learned. He said that he plans to get all the land back, but I don't know how he plans to do that. I, I mean, I guess with the casino somehow and, and whatever other investors that he can get. You know, there's there's Dan Jenkins hanging out there, too. So he's got a bone to pick with Dan eventually because he owns a bunch of land. I feel like this statement, this sharing of information from Rainwater to John is really the crux of where this, this is going now. He's got this mm-hmm. vision for what he needs to work towards. And now he's just told John what he plans to do. Yeah, I don't know why he would do that. Yeah, but I think that John's now 
has to react to this. Maybe that's where bringing Beth into the assembly and having Jamie as the attorney general will help him. Right after this conversation was when all of a sudden Beth coming into the assembly got mentioned. Kind of everybody has their own plans and obviously it's a power struggle. So we're not sure like who has the upper hand in that though. Because if Rainwater literally is going to buy it like piece by piece, that's... Like, how is that going to happen if John won't sell it? So, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of a mess. I don't know if Rainwater's plan is really all that thought out, do you? I don't know. I don't think so. Obviously, he's not going to show all his cards. But from the very opening statement of the show, back in episode one, we heard Jamie's argument that the state couldn't argue for eminent domain for private use. Yeah. Right? It would have to be for public use, which is not what was being argued. And you can't tell me that what Rainwater wants is for is public use when his people, unfortunately, fit onto this tiny reservation. I agree. Like, I don't understand his plan, what he thinks is going to happen. But hearing $14 billion being thrown out there as a number is a very... That's a big number. Big number. It's a big target. It got John, not going to say scared, but it got him to react. I did like when he called him a small man. Small <laughs> ideas. I think so. I don't know. I kind of feel like Rainwater's ideas maybe not fleshed out properly. As learned as he is in law, and obviously, you know, he's, he's told him that he's worked for like mergers and acquisitions for Merrill Lynch, which, you know, you're not dealing with any kind of small potatoes. But um, I just don't know how he's going to achieve that. But this is basically like a big scare tactic or a threat from John to get Rainwater to give the cattle back. And it worked. Suddenly, Rainwater's out of jail. And John has all his cattle back. Magically. I think he just did it just to rattle him and just say that I know I know how, what, what is important to you and how to take it away from you. It could be bluster. I don't know if he's, he has all the, the paperwork behind it lined up because $14 billion, you've got to convince a lot of people to sell. You've got John and you've got Dan, who's got his little resort thing happening. So I don't know. I'm not sure where he's going to go with it. But to me, it feels like a scare tactic. It feels like, here's my dastardly plan. Um, <laughs> Which, why would I tell you that? Why would well, it's a very James Bond kind of a, a story to do. It's like, you know, I'm the villain. I'll tell you all of my plans so you can thwart me. I think it's just to, to show John that he's not the only one with power. It's men. It's egos. Sorry, men listening. <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, it feels like John won this round because the cattle are back. and Right. And then the, the fallout. So the cattle are back. So the, the, the gambit didn't work. Robert Long is dead. Samantha Long is dead. So you have two dead reservation mm-hmm. residents. Don't have the cattle. So it doesn't look like Rainwater's plan worked that he, he risked too much. Yeah. And I feel like this is how he's going to try to win some favor or, or save face a little bit. It's like, oh, fine, you won this round, but I'm going to win the war. Because he tells him, because I'm going to erase you from the future. You know, that felt very sinister. To me, it doesn't seem like Rainwater has much power. Yeah, or resources. Correct, yeah. Yeah, he's got a drive. So, and he, he did take a risky move with the cattle to show, I guess, his force in the beginning. So who knows? Maybe he might be growing into his power. He might be figuring out, he might be calling up some of his old... yeah resources and, and contacts saying you know I, i've i've got 14 billion dollar payoff you know if you get involved i wonder how he became chief of the reservation right seeing as how he wasn't raised there and he's new and i wonder how that works right and his backstory was interesting because he, he neatly summed it up for us 
in a previous episode that he didn't know he was even Native American until he was 18. So, you know, he's had less time to catch up to where his power has led him. I have one final thought for you. So I was going back and I was looking at some reviews of the show because now it was, you know, about a month in. And I found out that in 2018, when this show aired, so when this season aired, this was the second most watched cable show behind The Walking Dead. For real? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We think about like The Walking Dead is still such a huge presence. Yeah. And for this brand new show to be second to The Walking Dead, like I feel like- On their third episode? Yeah. So by by the end of the season, just the show in general. Oh, wow. And it was renewed quite quickly for a season two. Like The Walking Dead was already an established show in 2018. Oh, yeah. So this says a lot about the fan base, making sure that they were making a lot of noise for the show online. Um, There's a very large Facebook presence for this show. That's awesome. Yeah, and I also found out that it was originally pitched just as a movie, but then the scope of it felt too big, and, and Kevin Costner was one of the people that obviously initially approached, and he was definitely like, this is too big for a movie. So that's how it became a series. Now that you you know, you know and I have seen through season three, like that would be a really long movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> With so, a lot of details. A lot of details, a lot of subplots and sub-storylines. Yeah. But yeah, so I just that's thought cool. that that was like an interesting little understanding of, of where this show has come from i don't watch the walking dead i'll take a good western i'll take that <laughs> i'd rather see a cowboy in the wranglers yes exactly oh did we want to touch on jimmy because we mentioned him earlier and this poor guy i mean so was he like taped to the horse yesterday because remember how we were, yeah. we were saying last time like how terrible that was and then like if that was yesterday then like today they're like get on your horse jimmy come on yeah, they're, they're just awful to him. They just really show him no mercy. Yeah, I definitely don't want to be the new guy at the Yellowstone. I'm excited that Lloyd has reached out and like taken him under his wing. So I want to see more of that because I feel that Jimmy has had enough to deal with. He needs to land here and he needs to land well. Yeah, I want. Kinda, I want to. Kind of needs to work out for him. Yes, I, I want to see him succeed. Well, this was fun, but I hope our next episode is better. Yeah, we literally went from bad to worse to worser. <laughs> but why do we like it so much? I exactly. Mean, why is it so good, but like also so bad? I mean, this was literally forty-eight minutes of just you know. It starts out with the mother dying, and then the anniversary, and then siblings are beating each other up, and then we have a suicide, and we oh my god, I, I mean, then we have a double. But murder. then, like at the end, you're like, that was a good episode. It was a good episode. Does <laughs> yeah. this make us twisted people? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Just, I find it such a treat to go back and dive into these episodes the way that we did for season three. Like paying attention to all the little details. Yeah. You know, as you watch from season one to season three, obviously, you're going to start making connections of what's happened in season three. You're like, oh my God, this reaches all the way back to here. I will meet you back here again soon for episode four. Got it. This one, the next one's called The Long Black Train. It sounds even more ominous. Yeah, so I'm not optimistic that we're going to come so far out of the woods into this, you know, this little mired emotional wreckage that we're in. But um, I think it'll be slightly better. (laughs) You know, they have to dig us into the trough in order to, you know, come back out. Yeah, it's good writing. There's, I think there's nine episodes in this season. Right, well, thank you for listening. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. We would appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you get notifications when we drop a new episode. And if you could leave us five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thanks.
you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.